Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to another Ars Blog Arscast on arsblog.com in association with classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Uh, trying to get this recording done in between all the noises that are going on around here today. Uh, there's an alarm going off at the back of the house. You may be able to hear it in the background somewhere. The neighbour next door is mowing his lawn and the dog is sitting here looking for a bit of the biscuit that I have with my cup of coffee. So uh, if you hear funny noises, it's... More than likely the dog, not necessarily. On today's show, we have got a competition from classicfootballshirts.co.uk where you can win yourself a poster featuring many, many Arsenal shirts. A two-part interview with Perry Groves. Uh, he'll be talking about his book, We All Live in a Perry Groves World, and some other stuff as well. We will have a bet of the week. Uh, also, your questions. Well, there aren't very many this week. Uh, and also, Arsene Wenger Hawkins will be here again, uh, as usual. Okay, so I suppose we better talk about what's happened uh, football-wise since the last Ars cast. Uh, on Sunday we played and got beaten by West Ham. A defeat is always painful. A defeat in the last minute is always painful. Uh, and the subsequent events between Arsene Wenger and, and Alan Pardew and the little scuffles on the pitch just made the whole thing a little bit more controversial than, than really it should have been. Um, there was a lot of uh, negative reaction, I suppose, because, uh, because of the way we were beaten, but, all, but also because we were beaten. Uh, and we didn't perform on the day. We looked tired after the game against CSK in Moscow, and really we didn't uh, play the kind of football that we were expecting to play and pick up the three points that I suppose we were expecting to pick up against a team that uh, really hasn't been doing anything much this season. Uh, they seem to have got themselves back on track a little bit, though. Um, what I would say, though, is that we played very well in the last uh, six to eight games. Maybe Moscow away wasn't brilliant, but in the league, uh, winning five out of six... Uh, the draw with Everton, the game against CSKA at home, uh, we played excellent football. Um, and certain things can change a match. I don't want to harp on too much about the penalty, but I think possibly a lot of uh, Arsene Wenger's frustration at the end of the game was due to the fact that we didn't get the penalty, which I thought was uh, as clear-cut a penalty as you'll ever see. Uh, and knowing that your team isn't playing well, and knowing that the opposition should probably be down to 10 men, and you should have had a penalty, is going to is going to make your brain fry a little bit. I think that's probably what happened at the end. Um, I'm sure that Pardew said something to, to Arsene Wenger, because uh, we've seen managers celebrate goals before, and, and there hasn't been that sort of reaction from our manager, and he's not the sort of person that would do that. Um... So uh, it's been a bit surprising that he hasn't come out to to say anything on the matter this week. Uh, I thought we might hear from him after the uh, after the Everton game on Wednesday, but no, we haven't heard anything. I assume that the press conference today that will happen pre Liverpool, uh, he'll be asked plenty of questions. Uh, whether he chooses to answer them or not is another thing. In the Carling Cup. Everton will consider themselves unlucky that, that uh, Graham Paul misunderstood James McFadden uh, saying shite. He thought it was cheat, but that's what you get for having a Scottish accent. Uh, the team, 
Uh, did very well. Lots of young kids in there. Uh, Danielson was in there, Armin Traore at left back. Uh, and it'll be a good run out for someone like Ali Bayor, who's now beginning to score important goals for us. And that'll be a good uh, confidence boost for him. Some people aren't totally convinced by him yet. But the one thing I'd say is that he's now scored the winner against Everton. He scored the winner against United. He's still only 21. And if he can work on the things that he's good at, which don't include fancy flicks and, and trying to play like Thierry Henry, if he can stick to what he's actually good at, I think he could be quite a useful player to to have in the squad. Uh, who we get in the next round of the Carlin Cup is going to be very interesting. I hope we get a home uh, game because the, the young players deserve a, a good run out at home in front of our own fans. And uh, yeah, hopefully Southend rather than Chelsea will be the order of the day. Okay, so you'll all know at this stage that we're uh, running a campaign on Ars Blog to make sure that Perry Groves' autobiography, We All Live in a Perry Groves World, uh, sells more copies than Ashley Cole's. And looking at Amazon.co.uk today, the bestseller list for sports books puts Perry at number 21 and rising, while Ashley Cole's book is at number 58. Suck it up, Ashley, you little bollocks. Anyway, uh... This week, Perry very kindly agreed to take a phone call from me to do an interview, so we have a two-part interview on this week's Arscast. In the first part, coming up right now, he talks about the book, uh, how it came about, how it got written, uh, how he jogged his memory uh, to remember some of the things that he'd forgotten. And he also talks about Ashley Cole and what happened with that whole thing and, and uh, how Ashley behaved. So right now, here's part one of Arse Blog meets Perry Groves. <laughs> Uh, so now we're talking to uh, the legend that is uh, Perry Groves. Hello, Perry. Good evening. Um, you have a, a book out, We All Live in a Perry Groves World, which, uh, as anybody who reads Ars Blog will know, is much, much better than Ashley Cole's book. Um, how did it come about? Um, to be honest, it, it was out of the, completely out of the blue, because I'm like a Billy Average player in Arsenal's you know, long history. Um, and then a, a retired um, journalist called John McShane was asked by Blake Publishing... Uh, which is a publishing house in London. They deal in um, alternative uh, autobiographies or cult books with a, with an L. Um, and they obviously saw there was an interest on the website. There's a couple of websites that are, are going, which are taking the Mickey website, which is fair enough, you know. They're, it is uh, really funny. Um, and they just thought, oh, well, that could be quite interesting. They got in contact with me, said, would you like to do it? I said, yes, uh, I would. It would be, you know, interesting from my point of view. But I want to make it a bit different. I don't want it to be just, you know, about games and we played this team and, you know, I got taken off here and I was crap in that game and I wasn't any good in that game. Sure. I just wanted to make it um, everything about, you know, football and around it, you know, what happened off the field with, you know, like well, with women and drink and the, the culture. <laughs> the so I just want to make it a bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, how does that process work then with the with the, the ghostwriter? So you sit down and tell him stories and he goes away and, and well, bangs it out. To be, to be honest, I couldn't remember anything. <laughs> When they were talking about, you know, in, in when you finish playing, all the years sort of merge into one. Um, so I, I can remember everything about me, my, my school playing days and, my, you know, my youth team playing days. And then I had to go back and watch the videos, obviously, when I was at Arsenal, just to watch the games so that and that would trigger some memories of, you know, what ha happened after, after those games. So we did it actually chronologically um, and, and went through it sort of step by step um, with me, myself and, and John McShane. Um, obviously, so I um, talked about different things, and, and he he wrote them down because obviously his spelling is a lot, <laughs> a lot better than mine. And is there? A, can we guess at the reason why your memory might be uh, slightly impaired? Um, it's it's impaired because, to be honest, um, probably 
Uh, a lot of the stories involve drink around it, so that probably doesn't do you any favors. But um, when when you play games, um, I don't know if other football is the same, but you tend to forget about you know the game that's gone before. You just worry about what's going on afterwards. And I was, although I loved it, I loved being at Arsenal, and it, you know it was a fantastic time in there, my club. I never took myself that seriously. Now I was that never sort of that deep into it. Um, where I just thought, right, you play, you, you do your best. You know, if your best is good enough, great. If it's not, you have to try harder next time. Um, so, and I, I mean, I packed in plan in 1995, 96. So that was sort of nine, ten years ago. So it, it took a bit of, you know, just sitting down. And then it was like triggering memories. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And as I went along, more and more stuff come back in, you know. Right, okay. In the, in the little description of it, it, it talks about uh, motorway chases, visits to brothels, drunken es- escapades, and uh, one group of internationals being questioned over an attempted murder charge. Was there anything that wasn't printable? Um, there was loads. I'm one of these ones who, who says as it is. Now, you know, some of it is my opinion, and, and all of it is, is truthful and factual, but then it goes from uh, the finished um, manuscript goes from obviously John McShane to the Blake, to Blake, uh, Blake Publishing, and then their lawyers take a look at it. And then they, they took quite a bit, because there was some other stuff in there and quite controversial stuff, but they took that out because they're worried on legally that they could be sued if it was my opinion or me in a situation with someone else. Even if I was telling the truth, the other person could say, no, that's not how it was. They took a fair bit. There's, there's, enough, in there, there's enough juicy stuff in there you know, and, and interesting stuff in there anyway. But there, is, there was quite a bit that was sort of vetted. Right, so there's a, there could be a director's cut. Well, it could, it could be uncut or, you know, <laughs> if, if this one sells more than like 100 copies, then we might be all right. Oh, definitely, it definitely will. I hope so, because I, I hope that, I mean, it's Arsenal fans, because it is, it is the truth. And as I say, I, when you mention Ashley Cole there, um, in, in the history, I'm not pretending that, you know, I'm anywhere near, near as a uh, world-class player as what he was when he was at Arsenal. But I think the fans hopefully appreciate my more because I was privileged to play for Arsenal. And the way that he's gone about it and been full of his own self-importance and what he was owed is if Arsenal should have been privileged to have him. And, that, you know, that should never be the case. Yeah. So um, I think mine might be, uh, hopefully the fans might have a bit, you know, they have more in common, Absolutely. you know, with, with, what, I'm, with what, I'm, uh, what I've got to say rather than a heat distorted uh, view of his own world where he thinks that, you know, everybody should be sort of um, behold on, you know, to, to Ashley Cole, which I think he's been badly advised, to be yeah, fair. I think so. I mean, I think if uh, you'd got a phone call from your agent and they'd offered you £55,000 a week, you'd have swerved off the road for a different reason than he did. Well, yeah, I mean, it, with him, I mean, if you go right back to it again, I don't know all the facts. It's only he's, he's bleating that he's been in the papers and in his book and whatever. If he wasn't, if he if he wasn't in the room in the first place, then you know the, the whole situation doesn't transpire. If he went into the room and he didn't know that Mourinho and Kenya were there, which I believe that he, he obviously did, but if he didn't know that they were there, he should come straight out of the room, gone to us and said, "Look, I've been stitched up. You know, it's not a good situation." Um, and then to bleat, as you say, about fifty-five thousand, sixty thousand, normal people wouldn't even comprehend, you know, what that would mean. And then to go on and say, "Well, the club didn't." try hard enough to keep me is what they did uh, Thierry Henry well the simple fact is Sunshine left backs aren't as important as what centre forwards are it's that simple in, in the you know the situation that Arsenal are in at this particular time Thierry Henry is a miles more important player in their um, development as a team and in the stadium as what left backs are so you have to know your own worth I always knew my own worth in Arsenal's team I was a 
an average player who was international players there. You know, I was doing well to stay in that, you know, uh, environment. But I knew that I wasn't worth as much as what Tony Allen or Paul Merson were. Sure. So you have to be realistic, which I don't think he was. And I, the way I put it to Arsenal fans and anybody who asks, I say, look, could Arsenal have got to the Champions League final if Thierry and we would have, would have missed the season? And the answer, obviously, is no, they wouldn't have got to if he'd have missed the season. Could they have got there if Ashley Cole missed the season? Well, well they, they did. did. Yeah. And it wasn't with the second-choice left-back playing. It was with the third-choice left-back playing. And Flamini did a fantastic job. But it just goes to show that you know, centre forwards make a 10% difference to your team. World-class left-backs might, might make a 1% or 2% difference to your team. It, it, there are players now are in danger. It's not the money that they're earning. It's just, it's be, just be a little bit um, more humble about it. You know, The reason that they're earning bundles and bundles of money, which is fine, is because they've been born at the right time in the right era. Not because they're any better than the players who played in the 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. It's just, it's just their time. And I think that sometimes fans get a little bit fed up with saying, look, yeah, basically you're getting paid to play football. You know, it's, nothing, it's not that important. Do you think it's, um, it's, it could be an English thing in so much as it happens a lot to players like, like Ashley Cole, Kieran Dyer, uh, Jermaine Pennant to an extent, and you don't sure. really see the young foreign lads behaving in the same way as the English players? Yeah, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a cultural thing. Maybe um, in our country, I mean, I don't know what the, you know, the cultural thing... In, in our country, football has always been a working-class game played by working-class people. Um, when you're not used to having that amount of money, what happens there is, and, and around you, you get people who are in your ear all the time and advising you and, and you know, telling you which, what you should say and what you shouldn't say. And 99% of the time, it's, they're not advising you for your own benefit, they're advising you for their own, ben- you know, their own benefit. Yeah. And especially with agents... Agents very rarely advise players to stay where they are because agents don't get as much of a cut. Um, although you've got to have your own morals and principles as well, but I just, you know, I, I just think it's you, they've just got a little, you know, be, be a bit careful. Um, and the thing that's going to happen with Ashley Cole is <laughs> there'll be two things. I don't think his game will develop as much as what it would. Uh, would uh, he might win things. I'm not saying that he won't, but. Him as a person, I think uh, the way Arsenal play suits him more as a player than what Chelsea, the way that Chelsea play, which is one thing. And the second thing is, in 15 years' time, 20 years' time, when he's packed in playing, he won't have Arsenal fans come up to him saying, oh, thanks for what you did for us. He, he won't be held in with any affection at all. If anybody now is um, going for an all-time Arsenal 11 uh, at left-back, it might be a toss-up between Kenny Sancho, Nigel Rent or Ashley Cole, you know, of the modern era. He ain't going to get in, is he? He's not going to get any votes at all. No chance. So, um, and also, again, what players don't, that what they te- tend to forget is, it's not you that's famous; it's the shirt that makes you famous. So, um, you know, so like um, you, you have like, Kenny Sampson, Oh, he's going to pack in. What's going to happen now? Nigel Winter comes on. Well, he's going to pack in. What are we going to do with left back? Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole's gone. Gal Clusi plays. Same as up front. You know. Uh, Alan Smith packs in, Dennis Bergkamp comes, Dennis Bergkamp, Ian Wright comes, Ian Wright packs in, Thierry Henry comes, Thierry Henry goes, Phil Wilcock will probably step into his shoes. Yeah. So it, it's the shirt, you know, it's, you, know you, you, you perform, but the shirt makes you what you are. It's not, it's not you yourself.
Um, so again, it's, it's just having a bit of a reality check, really. So there you go. Uh, part one of the Perry Groves interview. Part two coming up a little bit later on in the show. Now, the Irish Blog Irish Cast is sponsored very kindly by ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. Uh, they sell and source genuine football gear, genuine shirts, tracksuit tops, training gear, stuff that you can't get elsewhere. It's not a replica. It is the real deal. So make sure you check out their website, especially coming up to Christmas. It's ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. Now, they've given me this week three posters to give away, which features uh, a lot of Arsenal shirts from old to new. All you have to do to enter the competition is email me, arsecast at arseblog.com, and tell me what's your favourite Arsenal shirt and why. The three entries that tickle my fancy the most will win a copy of that poster, and I will announce them on the Arsecast next week. So make sure you send your entries to arsecast at arseblog.com, and that's thanks to classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Now, to comment on something in the world of football that tickled his fancy during the week, here's Arsene Wenger Hawkins. If I was the manager of a team and we conceded a late goal, I would naturally be very upset, but I would cope as I am an intelligent person. However, if the manager of the opposition team came up to me dancing and jumping around and waving his fists, saying, how do you like that then, you French cunt? Yeah, come on, and other things I would not be very happy at all. I would say, I don't like it at all, but enjoy these moments while you can. As the other manager went on television to explain that he did nothing wrong, but nevertheless apologized for doing nothing wrong, I would zoom out into the car park and break into his car. From my special bag I would take a deadly scorpion and make it extremely angry by making it listen to Jamie Redknapp and that other hairy-handed cunt on Sky. Man, that scorpion would be pissed off. I would then place the scorpion in the glove compartment. Later, when the other manager was driving home, I would ring him up and say, Hello, other manager. I am sorry if there has been some misunderstanding between us. We should let bygones be bygones, and as a gesture of goodwill I have left a gift in your glove compartment. Please open it now so I can know that you appreciate it. As he opened it, the pissed-off scorpion would jump out and sting him in the face and arse and possibly the testicles. When the screaming stopped and I heard the car screech across the road and smash into a wall. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Or oncoming traffic, I would hang up. That'll teach you to dance in front of me, you can't. 
Oh, yes. You just can't argue with the wisdom of Arsene Wenger Hawkins. More from him next week. Uh, there was one or two things I was a little confused about regarding the uh, the Wenger Pardew incident. Uh, I just wanted some clarification, so I called up the FA. Hello, Football Association. Yeah, hello. I, I have a question, please, if that's okay, um, regarding the Alan Pardew and Arsene Wenger incident. Okay. Are you the person I should address it to, or do I need to speak to? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, the improper conduct is what they've been charged with, no? Am I correct? Um, well, there's some suggestion that, as for Alan Pardew, it might have been just relating to his, the fact that he stepped out of the technical area. It wouldn't have anything to do with his, his bad dancing. You can't charge him for that, can you? Uh, no. <laughs> Would you want yeah, him to be? Yeah, I think seriously, a crime <laughs> no. against dancing. <laughs> there is that. Oh, yeah, he's done that before, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, so anyway, what was your sort of well, follow-up question uh, to my, that? My follow-up question was that, uh, okay, Alan Pardew's dancing was terrible and Arsene Wenger gave him a little bit of a push. It's not really a big thing in the grand scheme of things. What can you charge him with, for example, if Arsene Wenger had taken out a chainsaw and gone after Alan Pardew around the pitch? Is there something higher than improper conduct, like super improper conduct? Well, then or? it would be in the hands of the police. Oh, I see. Clever. Yeah, okay. But what if he just chased him with a a chainsaw? Or if he kicked the football still at his be head? In the ha- that would still be in the hands of the police. If he kicked the football at his head? Probably, yeah. Uh, probably be in the hands of the police. Assault with a deadly football. Hello? Hello? What a special laugh she had, eh? Uh, now then, before we get on to the final part of the show and the bet of the week, it's time for part two of the Perry Groves interview. This time I ask him about how he nearly came to play for Ireland. Uh, he explains that, along with some questions asked by some Irish blog readers, and he's quite candid about his big arse and the tight shorts back then. So it's Perry Groves meets Irish blog, part two. <laughs> In the Sunday Independent here in Dublin at the weekend, they were talking about the, the, the little campaign we have on the website to, to make sure that your book sells more copies. And <laughs> Fantastic. But they, were, they were saying that um, you were at one stage, uh, the reason they mentioned it was that you were at one stage on the verge of a call-up for the Republic of Ireland squad. Yeah, I was, yeah, one follow-up. How did that happen? I mean, what was the Irish connection? You read the, the Irish Times one day and... Uh, no, what it was, we had an Irish red setter. <laughs> no, <laughs> no my, my granddad on my mum's side was um was they all come from County Cook. So again this is a bit that's been taken out of the book, I think, or it might be mentioned in there but not in uh, uh, um um was playing for us at the time. Um and Theo Foley obviously was you know our first team coach and he had Irish connections and, and then I just happened to mention mucking around I you know my family. I said, Oh you're eligible on you know on grandparents' side with the um FAI, you know, their their sort of rules. They said, Would you be interested? So I said, well, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't see what international football, yeah, it'd be, be superb. There was a bit of me that felt a bit uneasy about it, to be honest, because, you know, there's that, you know, to find another Irishman sort of sure. thing at the time. Um, and then they, I met Jack Cholton in the, um, in the uh, players' lounge after a game, and um, Jack would, was obviously had enjoyed the hospitality quite a bit. <laughs> um, so I, Niall Quinn introduced me to him, and he said, oh, great. Um, brilliant, yeah, you, I know you can play, come over and play for the B team on Tuesday. Um, I think, you know, I think there's an Ireland B game on the Tuesday and a, and a full game on the Wednesday. And I always thought in my head that if you was brought up for international, called up for international, it'd be official, you know, you'd get a letter or, you know, some sort of official recognition. And I said to Quinny, I just can't turn up with my boots. What about if he's forgot that I'm, 
you know, going to play on the Tuesday. You know, I just turned up and played up front with, I think, John Byrne or David Kelly at the time. And I said, I can't do that. And then there was other representations. I said, well, look, yeah, I'd love to play for you, but I'm not in the B team. I'll, you know, if you put me in the A squad, then fantastic. And um, I'm still waiting for the call. <laughs> that was it. I think the way things are going for Ireland at the moment, they might, they might send that letter. Well, I could, I could, every team could do with a long throw. Yep, so when you're struggling, right. everyone needs a long throw, so there's still some hope in there somewhere. Right. A couple of questions that I just asked from the people that read the site, and they just... Okay. Favourite Arsenal memory? Um, oh, I was quite lucky. One memory... I mean, I'd have to go with two, probably. Um, the Lord's Cup final in 87, when we beat Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason now, I started off that season at Colchester, and then ended that season playing in front of 92,000 Wembley and winning... You know, a major. It was a major trophy back then because there's only three trophies you win because it was banned from Europe. Um, was fantastic. And then Anfield um, in '89, which just although I, you know I only come on for the last 20 minutes and I don't think I touched the ball to be honest. I just run around like a lunatic. But <laughs> but that um, the whole you know um, scenario that surrounded that game with probably the only time that the rest the rest of the country wanted Arsenal to win because Liverpool had been so dominant. You know, they, they were fed up of it. And if it happens live on TV, you know, and have to win 2-0 and everybody, you know, write you off and think you ain't got a chance. Um, I mean, that will... I'd be very surprised if that ever happens again. If you'd written it in a book, you know, and it happens like that, then, you know, you need to go out there and win 2-0, you win in the last minute, people would say that it was too far-fetched. So, to be part of that, um, and everything that went on, I think we, we milked it for about six or seven weeks after that <laughs> we said if we won anything then you know if, you, if you're successful you've got to make the most of it and when these people say don't get too carried away with the ups or too down with the downs I'd agree with them about not getting too you know down with the downs but on the ups if you win something then you you, you part your milk it for all it's worth because it doesn't happen that often no well especially in the circumstances that you wanted exactly in, in, the, in those circumstances as well so that just made it you know sort of all the better. All right. How, how difficult was it to play football in those really small, tight shorts? To be fair, um, I didn't realise. I was probably getting like the person in probably the under, like 11s, under 12 shorts. But um, those, <laughs> I always think I look like the bloke out of Dick Emery. You know, you're like, right, hungry talk, how are you? Yeah. Um, so it didn't, I mind you, I could have been even quicker if I'd have had like the looser fitting shorts, I might have been even quicker, mightn't I? I hadn't thought of that. But it was, it was the fashion at the time. And then when you look back, you think, God, how did, you know, how did you move around? I think what it, it was probably vanity where I was really probably a 34, 36, and I thought, I oh, know, I'll wear a 32, 34. Probably a bit of vanity in there somewhere because the size of my arse, that's what it was. Well, yeah, I didn't want to say, but, you know. Well, I... it's difficult to get shorts to, man- <laughs> to match you know, the size of me, of me backside. Okay, uh... Just one, a question was, uh, you know, if, if a player gets some stick from, from the fans, uh, because it's slightly topical at the moment, given the, yeah, sure. the cries at Highbury to shoot, and I think that's getting on the players' backs a little bit at the moment. Yeah. Does it really affect you if, you if you're getting a bit of stick from the crowd? It really? doesn't, and, and if anybody says, I mean, I went through it at the times where they, they love me, hate me, love me, and mine was sort of, you know, really up and down. And you don't need that many, in, in a crowd of, when we played at 40,000, you only need 800 to 1,000 people to moan or groan. And that's, that sounds a lot. Do you know what I mean? So psychologically, um, and put it this way, it doesn't help. I mean, all it does, that, that tension that the crowd are feeling and apprehension will make the players feel subconsciously. They'll, they'll say that it doesn't bother them and they'll say, but, you know, you're, you're only human. You know, you're not robots. Um, 
and, and me as a player, when the crowd were on my back, all, all it made is, it just made me a little bit tense where I knew that if my next touch was a bad one, it makes, you know, yeah, it just makes you more tense, that's all. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes what the fans have got to realise is that the, the, the football that they're playing at the moment, um, and they've been playing, you know, for probably the last two or three years, is the best domestic football, you know, that, that anybody's seen. Um, and sometimes the end product doesn't justify the, the build-up, um, and sometimes they probably do need, a, a, you know, last 10 minutes if you're drawing and you'll get it into the box. I can understand what the fans are saying, but Arsene Wenger and the team aren't going to change their principles. You know, it's not, it isn't going to happen. So yeah. then you just got to go with it, you know. And, and I saw the 0-0 game um, against uh, Spartak, uh, CSK, sorry, CSKA in Moscow, and I saw the 1-0 game at Everton, and you couldn't say that they were boring draws, you know, because of the way that Arsenal play. So, um I can understand fans' frustration, but if they could, you know, sort of stick with it and, and just get behind them. And to be honest, I think it's been a little bit overhyped. I, when I've been at these games, I haven't heard, you know, it hasn't been as bad as what people have been saying it, it's been. Henri, there's some talk about him and his role as captain, because obviously he's not the same kind of guy as Tony Adams who's going to stand and scream at somebody uh, sure. and, and put the fear in you. What do you think of him as a captain? And if he wasn't, who would you who would you have as captain? I think he's a captain... Um, He's, he's looking at one of the best three players in the world, you know, and, um, you know, people go with their, you know, different sort of you know, one, two, and three, but he's definitely in the top three. So I think he's a captain by stature. Um, and, I, and, I, and I think it means, I think it means the world to him, to be honest. I think it really does. And because he's not, uh, with Terry, you, Terry, just because the captain's not, over a period of 10 games, he's going to have, the player that he is, he's going to have two games where it looks like he's not bothered. It's not that he isn't bothered, but, you know, it looks like because he's not running around crash tackling people and, and you know and steaming into people, and sometimes it might give an impression that he's not that. But he is. I, I know from talking to other people that he is that bothered. But you have to go with a player who is good as what he is. You have to go with him over a period of ten games because at six or seven of those games he'll be fantastic. There's every chance that he'll score a hat trick against Liverpool on Sunday. I mean, if you remember the last time Arsenal in a, a bit of uh, a big crisis. Uh, I think they played Liverpool on a Sunday and he got a hatchet and he was about a year ago or two years ago and you know there was a bit of and all of a sudden big players produced big performances and, and he's one of those um, and other than, than him if you're looking for a captain um, looking I mean I always like my captain to be defenders uh, to be perfectly honest so you're probably looking at a, um, a Toure sort of you know someone who's going to play regularly um, like a Toure sort of character. They, they won't be far away. They, they, they'll beat Liverpool on Sunday and then everybody will be happy again. I hope so, because I'm going over to the game. Uh, I'll be there as well. I'll be at the game. With, with, I, to be honest, I'm a fan anyway. I've been, I've been a Guna, my family been Guna since the 50s, sure. so I, I was lucky enough to play. But now for me to go and watch them play, I, I find it like a privilege. You know, I find watching them, especially because people begrudgingly, you, have, you either used to love Arsenal or hated Arsenal. And people hated our team, and we could say, "Oh, well, we're successful." You know, stuff you. We don't care. We've, you know, we've brought the club back to where it belongs. Now, Arsenal's taken it onto a different level, but now people actually begrudgingly think, "Or," oh, and when you hear people say, "I love the way Arsenal play," you know, I love watching Arsenal play. That I think that's that means a lot. What's missing is a little bit of steel. You know, a little yeah. bit of. Although he, he was right to get rid of Red because he, he was on the You know, his standards wasn't as good. He was like the. Um, he was Arsenal's bully, if you know what I mean, um, and, and stand up to the physical, physical side. At the moment, you've got like Fabregas, um, 
Rosicki and Hilep are all very similar, brilliant players, but they're all very similar. So, you know, you, you might think about getting some physical presence in there. But again, I think the way that Arsenal wants to play is really sharp, fast, attacking, incisive football, you know. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really to argue with that, you know. His, his record speaks for itself, doesn't it? So. You need a big bloke who can play. Well, yeah, and there's not many of them about, is there? No, no, no. I think he's probably hoping that Baptista is in that sort of that sort of mould, um, but I don't know how fit he is, um, you know, and, and perhaps he's waiting to introduce him. But he is a very, he, I, I believe he can play in midfield as well. Um, but you know, at the moment he's gone, he's gone with with the. To be honest, I think they miss a runner. I think it's highlighted how much they miss Freddie Lundberg at the minute as well because. If you're going to play the way they play, you need someone who's prepared to run off the ball and, and get in behind people. But at the moment, they haven't got anybody like that. Yeah, it would be nice so, to see a fit and informed Freddie back, actually. Exactly, yeah. And, and, another, they've missed, and the only other thing that worries you a little bit is, is the goal situation, because like with Perez over the last three or four years, he's always got 10-plus, where you look around and think, right, if Thierry's not quite at it, which he hasn't been in the last two games, who else is going to score your 10 to 12 goals a year? Because yeah. um, Thierry gets his 25, but he always will do. But you know, where is the other you know midfield sort of goals going to come from? Um, but as I say, I'd, I'd still rather watch them play and, and pay to watch them play than any other side. Me too. Okay, final one. Um, what would be the best thing about living in a Perry Groves world? The best thing um, living in my world is. Um, Seeing my world from my perspective, and everybody else seeing it the same way. I think we, you know, people kind of they, they know that I didn't take myself too seriously, and and didn't. I took my football seriously. Don't get me wrong, but you know all the other stuff. And it's quite nice that other people seem to have that sort of sense of humour. Um, and it, I won't spoil you, but for people to come up to me and just say thanks for what you did, is it means quite a lot. You know, it means like. It's not all about money and, and, and financial stuff. That's that sort of stuff money can't buy, you know. Um, and obviously I've become a better player now than what I was when I was there. Because <laughs> people mem- tend to remember the good stuff rather than the crap games you had on a Saturday. Oh, well, that's good. But, that's the best way to have it. Yeah, but, yeah, but my, I say with, with people now, fans, and, and, and the warmth that you get, and it is genuine. And, and it's a Mickey Tate and Go, which is great, and they all sing the song, again, which I know is a bit tongue-in-cheek, which is fine, but it's it's done with affection, and I think that's that's top shout. Okay, brilliant. Well, listen, thanks a million for talking to us. No problem, any time. Best of luck with the book. We'll make sure to give it a good uh, plug on the website, especially coming up to Christmas. Thanks very much. All the best. See you later. Bye. So there you go. That was Perry Groves talking about his new book, We All Live in a Perry Groves World. If you're looking for a book for somebody this Christmas, forget about Ashley Cole. Uh, Make sure you get out and buy Perry's book, We All Live in a Perry Groves World. Make sure that it sells more copies than Ashley's because obviously what he's got to say is a lot more interesting than than anything that a 25-year-old guy writing his own biography might have to say. Uh, Interesting stories, uh, motorway chases, murder, and Ashley Cole's book is about him not being offered £5,000 more than he thought he should have been, uh, the little twat. So anyway, thank you very much, Perry, for coming and talking to us, and hopefully we'll have some more uh, interviews along those sort of lines in the near future. Now, because there's very little time left, I'm just going to take a couple of questions. Well, one question, really. Uh, just got to give two quick shouts out. One to Moby, who's in Dubai, who answered the, the call to who is our most distant Irish blog reader. We had, you know, two or three emails, I think only two. Uh, one was Moby, who's living in Dubai, who likes to go to the beach and uh, says that passersby think he's a bit of a crazy when he laughs at Arsene Wenger Hawkins. Fair enough. 
uh, and also to Mark in Henty in New South Wales, whose Japanese girlfriend took apart one of my jokes on the blog during the week. Nevertheless, thanks to you, Mark, for sending your email. Uh, one question this week. What is the theme music? It's uh, David Bowie. David Bowie, Speed of Life. The album is called Low. Final part of the show this week is our bet of the week with thanks to bluesquare.com. That's www.bluesq.com. Simon Wolf this week says, despite having a number of Carling Cup regulars out on loan, the Gunners picked up a fine victory against Everton on Wednesday night. However, a number of our on loan strikers are flying high at the moment, none more so than Anthony Stokes. This week we have a Lone Ranger special. Nicholas Bentner... Anthony Stokes and Arturo Lupoli to score at any time in their respective games this weekend and it can be backed at a massive 20 to 1 so if all three score this weekend that's 20 to 1 so get down to bluesquare.com www.bluesq.com and place your bets now okay that's it that is another Arscast over and done with thank you very much for listening thanks to uh, classicfootballshirts.co.uk for their sponsorship and we'll see you next Friday bye catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.